the early ministry of Jesus, mostly going through the Gospel of Mark. What do we, what do we see at the very beginning of his public ministry? Because what happens at the beginning so often can set the stage, set the priorities for what is to come. Case in point this weekend. Listen, I, I apologize for shaming you men, but I have thrown down the gauntlet for Valentine's Day. If you've been on social media, you have seen that I have taken my wife not just to one, but to two Mississippi State hockey games over the weekend. Call me Mr. Romance. So, um, but at that game, now listen, you got to understand this about hockey. A goal in hockey is not like a goal, uh, a field goal in basketball or a, a run in baseball. It's more like at least a touchdown, right? So one goal that changes, it is so hard to score. So a goal in soccer or in hockey, it's basically seven points. By the end of the first period of the Alabama-Mississippi State hockey game, we were basically down 77 to nothing. Didn't score the whole week, whole week, both games. But when you're down basically seven, 77 to nothing, that set the stage for the other five periods that would happen in this game and the next game, okay? We knew it was over. What happens early on really sets the stage for what's to follow. So we've been looking at Jesus' life, the way he defers at his baptism, what, what his first sermon and message was. We looked last week, we had to jump over to John to get a little bit more interaction from the first calling of his disciples because really in Mark's gospel, you barely get anything on that. We said that last week. And really, just out of the chute, you get the wilderness temptation, two verses. And then you get the preaching, two verses. And then when you finally get to the call of the disciples, there's no interaction. They don't get to say anything back. It's only five verses for two sets of brothers. It's just bam, bam, bam. And we said last week, if you, if you read the Gospel of Mark without getting out of breath or breaking a sweat, you're reading it wrong. Just every other word we said last week is immediately. It's this constant movement until you get to Holy Week where it all just stops. And Mark's, Mark's wanting us to see, this is where I wanted to get you, to the cross of Christ where you could see that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this whole book has been a race, but in the calling of these disciples, we certainly see several things, and we're going to see their response as well to this healing. But before we do this, if you're following along in, in your bulletin in the notes, we just want to glory in who he is, as we've done that throughout this service. What is it we learn of Jesus, especially names and titles again, like last week we had four. Here we have two. When this entity speaks uh, to, to Jesus, he says, you're Jesus of Nazareth, calling his personal name. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. But this earthly name that you're of this town, of this location, reminding us again that our high priest, Jesus Christ, knows our weaknesses. He has come, as one, John 1.14, Eugene Peterson paraphrases, he's moved into our neighborhood. He's of us. But then this second word or title, you're the Holy One of God. Holy One is a typical naming of God. And you are the Holy One of God. Sometimes people can see. You see throughout the Gospel of Mark, there are times, like in verse 8 of chapter 7, where they can ascribe to him his lordship, you are Lord. But mostly it's 917, your teacher, 1047 through 48, your son of David, 
1051, your master, but the interactions, the interactions with these unclean spirits. You're the Holy One of God. Chapter 3, verse 11, you're the Son of God. Chapter 5, 7, you are the Son of the Most High God. Those spirits do not entertain or play with anybody really of this world. They are calling out who they know Jesus to be. Do you remember Acts 19? The interaction there with that unclean spirit? I know who Jesus is. And I even know his servant Paul. I have no clue who you are. And when that unclean spirit gets through with those seven folks, they, I think in the Greek, it, I know we've got a New Testament scholar here, but I think in the Greek, it's put the whoop on, is that, maybe that's not what it says in the Greek, but that's what happens. And if you've ever heard of the phrase, uh, 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 the phrase where uh, you're torn to shreds, they get torn to shreds. They, they run out with nothing on. They get so torn up because of that interaction. Again, the Spirit saying, you claiming the divinity of Christ, you are the Holy One of God. This beautiful, them put, this, putting that together of the flesh, who is God himself. Having to name that, and you see that here. And that, even though it's named by this Spirit, we, we glory in this. Jesus is of us, and yes, he is the Holy One of God. Now, what do we see here in his works? Verse 22, again, we see his teaching ministry, as Renee's pointed out for us. As we said a few weeks ago, Jesus is always teaching. If I haven't been taught by Jesus this week, I'm missing something. I, I once heard Martin Case even say, and this is guesswork, but Reverend Martin Case say, I wonder if we're going to be taught in heaven to continue to learn of the glory of who he is, the beauty of who he is, the truth of who he is, the grace that he has. We're always, disciple is a learner, we're always learning, we are always at the feet of our rabbi. But then we see, and this is where we are today, this healing work of Jesus in verses 25 through 26. And it's, we don't get much teaching of Jesus in Mark, but we just get healing after healing. It's mother-in-law in chapter 1, healing of many in chapter 1, healing of a leper in chapter 1, a paralytic in chapter 2, a man with a withered hand in chapter 3, on and on. I think it's up to 18 healings, and this is the shortest gospel, pound for pound, healing after healing after healing. We see his ministry here. And that says something of his great heart for us, knowing our brokenness and coming to do something about that. Many of you could testify to that, of a physical healing that's happened in your life, of a relationship that God who's given us a ministry of reconciliation by his power and his spirit put things back together. You could talk about an emotional healing that's happened in your life, but when you get to the heart of this gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, we understand our need for healing is much deeper than those things, as real and as hurtful as they are. He's come to serve and be a ransom for us, to give himself for the deepest need that we have, and that's for a Savior, to clean our hearts and to win for us eternal life. He is a healer for us. And this, this picture here really then, if you're following in your notes, is yes about his healing, but at the heart of it, and you're going to see it here and in chapter 2 and elsewhere, in verse 27, it's, it's the authority of Jesus that's put on display. Yes, his heart for us in his healing of us, 
and the things we struggle with, but ultimately for our sin and for our souls. But what's put on display here from the very beginning of this gospel is the authority that Jesus has. You look at the response of Andrew and Peter, and they reveal that, this, this immediate response, and as well as John and, and his brother James. It's Jesus who has all authority. There was a three-year-old, you know how strong-willed sometimes three-year-olds can be, arguing with mom and dad. And the dad says, son, Thomas, don't you know who's in charge here? Well, the unfortunate thing is they had taken that ch ch child to Sunday school. I do, Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> yes, that's the response. That's what you see. When Andrew and Peter called James and John, we've talked for the multitude of reasons they may have responded, but immediately was, yes, the authority of Jesus. He calls, he says, follow, and I follow. Whatever he has, he has all authority. When I've been injured by somebody, is it my will or his will? When I'm tempted by this world, is it my will or, or his will? The way I parent, the way I do family, the way I do marriage, the way I do work, is it, is, is it his authority or my authority? In the disciples' response, it's always follow. It's got to be follow, and you see that. And you see the authority he has in his teaching. Look, when they bump into his teaching, you see their amazement here and elsewhere. Look, the rabbis talked of traditions and they quoted other people. It was kind of like if you, grew, if you were a child of the 70s or 80s, my rabbi is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says, or for our, our day, WebMD or Google, that's where we go for our information. Jesus taught like nobody else as one with authority. And they were amazed by that. And again, that's to be our life, is to always be under his teaching. You not only see his authority in his teaching, but under his healing. And this will... This is where we'll come back to this name again. I've shared with you so many times what my nicknames are, and they're not good. Is your hometown good? Do you like telling people where, you, where you're from? Do you like, do you like your last name? Or is that a source of hurt or shame? Uh, does your name, we've joked about names uh, some this weekend, Jim McCarty. We were joking about a family name in their family. Uh, Names, they matter, and especially Jesus' name here. There was this idea that in this culture, if, if you knew the name of a deity, the personal name of a deity, then you had power over them. If you call them by their name, you can manipulate them and get them what, what, to do what you wanted them to do. You might have to burn a little incense, do a little sacrifice, but if I've got your name, I've got you. You are Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus doesn't flinch. He doesn't blink, and he doesn't move. Look, is there a name in your life that's paralyzing you? You put it under the blood and the authority of Jesus the Christ. His name is above all names. Your name shame you? Is there some name you've been called that says, Jesus' name, when they, you are Jesus of Nazareth, he doesn't blink. He has authority over the, over the Spirit, and he casts the Spirit out. And you see the authority as well in his words. Look, exorcism back in this day, as I've read some commentaries, was apparently a big deal. You would, you would, you would have smoke or incense. There would be these elaborate 
uh, rituals. There'd be spell casting. They had this laser light show thing. It's a big deal. It's a big elaborate thing. By my word, you get out. It's the words of Christ that have all authority. He doesn't have to cut himself like those battling Elijah. He doesn't have to make a sacrifice. He doesn't have to cry out to the heavens. He just says this word, quiet. Really, it's interesting uh, in the Greek, one commentary said, not only does it just mean be quiet, but it means be muzzled. My hand is going over your mouth, and you're not going to speak again. And that's, that's not just here. You see it a lot with people, but you see it again in chapter 3 uh, with, a, with another demon, and you see it throughout. You just, you just count them up. How many times Jesus has put his mouth over people's mouths and said, not now. That'll preach to me. I don't know if that preaches to you. You ever had to get your two cents in in a conversation? This week, there's been something inappropriate, but this thing is so funny. I just got to drop this with people. Look, this is not gossip. I just want us to pray for her. Can Jesus say to you, does he need to say to you, be quiet? Now, again, this is a different battle than I'm talking about, but this, this, is, a, this is a good lesson for the people of God. Can Jesus, there are times when he says, you better speak up. I understand that. One of the great ministries he'll do is, is tell people throughout Mark's gospel when it is to be quiet. There's a reason for that as he moves to the cross. But I, I just, looking at my life this week, where did I miss the Spirit telling me to be quiet? And I've missed his leading in my life. It's a good word there. And again, after the authority of his healing, his teaching, and how he deals with his words, you see that word amazement come up yet again. They're amazed. His authority confirmed just by his words. Same thing with the seas later. He says, be quiet, and they're quiet and still. He has all authority. But I want to address one other thing that can be a little uncomfortable with us, and I'm going to be careful as we talk about this. But in this last section, too, it, it says something not just about his authority, but it says something about the opposition that comes to Jesus. And if you and I are in Christ and we love Jesus, Jesus has promised us in this world you're going to have troubles. There will be persecution and struggles, even within families and friendships, if we take the name of Jesus. And you see this opposition, but it's, it's really not an, an earthly opposition. Uh, from the very beginning, it's opposition after opposition. It's kind of like the rain of January 2020. It just won't stop, right? And just, I'm a liberal arts major, so I can't do the math. You do the math. Go back through the Gospel of Mark and just count how many times there's opposition with Jesus. I mean, it's here, and then in chapter 2, it's with scribes, and then later it's with Pharisees, to the point that by chapter 3, I think verse 6, they're plotting. How can we, I think the word's destroy, how can we kill him? From the very beginning, it shouldn't be surprised that it comes later because it's, it saturates the very beginning of Jesus' earthly and public ministry, opposition after opposition after opposition. And it's here, by the way, even in a synagogue. This place not just of worship, but a place of community. And in their midst was somebody possessed. Don't start looking who's, who's beside you who might be that person. Even there, 
There's opposition. It's interesting when we talk about these things that Paul talks about as well and, and elsewhere. Sometimes when we talk about that spiritual reality, we can tend to get a little obsessed. I told our past uh, Wednesday night Bible study a year or so ago about an experience I had, and I, and I have to be very careful because we've got uh, uh, children and students here. So if you want to get the full story, buy me a cup of coffee, and we'll go out, and you'll love this story. It'll be worth a, it'll be worth a dollar for a cup of cheap coffee. Um, but the first time, a, a new youth minister had come to our churches when I was like in 10th grade, 11th grade. And the first lesson was on spiritual warfare. And they told a story about this battle that happened in their presence that when I left, I was like, I was driving home looking behind me in my car, scared out of my mind. That's your first lesson? Why is it your first lesson like about Jesus? Why isn't your first lesson on youth stuff? Tell me how to deal with acne. Or tell me how to, you know. No. It was this. Obsession about this. There's no room for obsession about this. And by the way, there's, there's really no room for us to be paralyzed by fear when we talk about this reality as well. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. And you see that clearly put on display here. Not just over physical healings, not just over creation in the, in the roaring seas. Be quiet. And that spirit was quieted and get out. And he got out. If you know more about spiritual entities than you know about the parables of Jesus, you've, you've missed the boat. Sometimes we can obsess about that, but this does set the stage for Jesus' ministry. So when Paul says to the Ephesians, there is a war. It's not really the flesh. Yes, it's in the flesh, but there's a, there's a spiritual war going on. He's right. And you see it from the very beginning here in Jesus' ministry. It's going to happen later when he does some more exorcisms and on and on. Just a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I quoted from Screwtape Letters. Here's Screwtape writing to another uh, uh, unclean spirit. Again, it's a work of fiction, but an unclean spirit. And he says this, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they do believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics. This is a reality in Jesus' life, and it's a reminder to us that it is a present reality. Jesus has all authority to cast them out. And if he has authority over that, whatever it is you and I wrestle with, very real things, spiritual things, but whether it's jealousies or pride or lust or food or this or that, we see his authority over all. No room for obsession. No room for being paralyzed by fear when we see these spiritual realities. But we're reminded again that Jesus has all authority. And, and, but we've got to be cognizant and realize that every moment we want to be praying and careful because this is, this is reality, this battle. How about you this morning? As we've walked through Mark's gospel, is there a place in your heart, a place in your life where you need to say, Lord Jesus, I see where you've healed so many in so many different ways. Lord, would you come and do that work in my heart, 
in my emotions, in my life? What about his teaching ministry? What about, what about everyday stuff? Lord, I want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. If there are times when I am not to speak, would you make that clear and help me, as these disciples did, to, to fully submit to your authority and to follow and to do whatever you have called them to do. Lord, keep my eyes open, not just to this world, but to understand all that's going on. Just bless my prayer life in that. Keep my eyes open that I'd be, I'd be, I'd be very careful with that and understand that. And listen, you and I, when we live this out, seeking him for healing, when you and I will sit under his feet, allow him to teach us, when we allow him to have all authority, which he has, but we submit to that authority, you know what happens? What happens at the end of this passage? That good news just shot out everywhere. If you and I will follow well, if you and I will be quiet when he says be quiet, when you and I will be open to his healing, when you and I will follow his teaching, it says the good news spread to all the surrounding district. Hymn 410, it's our closing hymn, it's really a prayer. Holy Spirit, you come, give us a heart for Christ, help us to submit to his authority. You do a work in us today. Let's stand together as we sing and as we respond.